This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Two weeks out from the end of the season, but still plenty to get into as Liverpool dominate the international agenda. We'll discuss Gabby's garbage on Hendo and the unexpected boost Klopp could be set to receive ahead of pre-season, plus contracts, transfers and freebies six years on from the signing of James Milner. Joining me to get into all of that, two men as versatile and reliable as Liverpool's number seven, Joe Rimmer and David Lynch. Gentlemen, I hope you're both well and... uh, Joe, I'll come to you first up. Canate signing, the whole Trent saga, will he, won't he? We know he won't in the end. And the uh, Henderson hate, it's been quite a busy week. It's never dull, is it? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it's funny with Liverpool, every time you anticipate a, a fairly quiet week, something or another kicks off. So, yeah, um, Canate, obviously, positive for Liverpool fans. And I think we're all pretty gutted for Trent, you know, after everything they went through with the England, you know, Fiasco, and I've got to be honest, I don't know why he had to go through all that. I don't know why it was ever an issue that he would go to a, a major tournament. He's just he's a world-class player, isn't he? Um, you know, and then for fate to cruelly transpire the way it did and him to um, injure his calf, I just think it's a real shame. So, um, you know, Liverpool will get him back now and try and get him fit and hopefully he can kick on next season and put all this behind him. But... Um, that was a real shame, and then and then the, the Henderson stuff is. Um, I'm sure we'll get onto it. I mean, all pretty bizarre, really. I think, to be honest, I think it was just a bit of a no mark player trying to get himself um, in the headlines. But yeah, um, bit of a strange one. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, yeah, Dave, just on on Trent first up on Monday, we w- went live after the squad announcement and said about Trent. And I found one of the most bizarre things, as Joe said, the fact it was even up for debate. If you were to pick a world eleven tomorrow. Trent would be your right back. So why wouldn't he automatically be England's? And then Gareth Southgate in his press conference saying he told him three weeks ago, why then are we getting the leaks coming out that he's not going to be part of it? All very strange. Yeah, but I I think that's the most interesting part about it is that it it wasn't ever up for debate as far as Gareth Southgate was concerned. He he knew Trent was in the squad and and, and the player knew he was going to be in the squad. And so, you know, it's difficult. I don't want to criticise any other journalists because it's, you know, sometimes... You do get a bum steer and, 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 you know, you can't always control what people tell you and, and whether it's truthful or not. Um, and I'm sure people do take great pleasure in lying to us sometimes uh, when you ask them about anything. But it's, um, yeah, that was, it seemed concerted, didn't it? Um, that, that every week there was a new story saying that, yeah, Trent's not going to make the cut. He's not going to make the cut. And this has been going on for, for quite a few weeks now as well in the build-up to the squad. And then all of a sudden, I think we were an hour out from it being announced and it was all of a sudden it, it, things had changed. So, yeah, I, I don't know who was saying that or, or why they were saying it. Was it trying to undermine a player or, or anything like that? It was just a, a really odd one because, like you say, you know, World eleven, he, he is he's your first choice right back or, or at the very worst, he's, he's maybe top three. You know, if you if you could argue that other players would be in there and the idea that he wasn't in England's top three right backs is just laughable, isn't it? So, yeah, fully <laughs> fully deserved to take his place. I would have, you know, I would have really pushed up or would have liked to have seen him starting games for, for England in that tournament. I think he's there number one right back and uh, yeah just a just a real shame that he picked up that injury you know the, the only upside is that he's he's a very young player and he's got a lot of tournaments ahead of him yeah it feels for the first time in quite a long time joe that england's loss is liverpool's gain normally england's loss is even more liverpool's loss thinking <laughs> joe gomez but this time he might actually be fit for pre-season and ready and raring to go firing on all cylinders no worry that he might do something more serious during the tournament yeah, hopefully, and, and Liverpool are in the same situation with 
Joe Gomez, Van Dijk. So, you know, Liverpool will just be keen and protecting themselves, getting those players back. But but then saying that, you know, you, you don't want to see a player miss out on a tournament because of this. You know, I, I do get a feeling that this has all been playing on Trent's mind a little bit. You know, he sort of plays a cool, doesn't he? But then I think some of his tweets and social media activity, mm-hmm. you know, after the squad came out, that sort of thing does sort of show you really how he does feel. And I think you could tell it was weighing on his shoulders a little bit. So I, I've got it for him. You know, I don't, I, I didn't want to see him miss out on the squad. I didn't want to see him miss out on the squad because of an injury. And, um, you know, after all that, for it to be taken away in a cruel fashion, um, I don't think it's good for Liverpool. I, I don't think it's good for, for Trent. Um, hopefully he can just put it behind him and get on with it quickly. But, you know, I, I just hope it doesn't knock him further because I think he has taken a few knocks this season. And they've been unnecessary ones, you know, as Dave just said there, you know, he, he's a fantastic player. And, uh, yeah, if, if he's not your first choice right back in a World eleven, he's certainly up there. And he's certainly, if you were talking about a young World eleven, he certainly is your first choice right back. You know, I, I sometimes think, I mean, I remember saying this when he, when he first sort of came through, but I think in this country we take young players for, for granted. And, uh, you know, a player like Trent comes through and there's debate around him. I, I mean... If he was if he was a young sort of German or Italian right back, we'd be raving about him. Yeah. Never a halfway house, that. is there? Yeah, it yeah, comes through exactly. and it's oh, they're brilliant, and then all of a sudden it yeah. flips, going, oh, is he all that? And then yeah, it's yeah, it's got yeah. to be absolutely piling in. Exactly. I mean, you know, I still listen to debate. You know, I was, I was driving home one night this this week on the, and I was listening to the radio, and they're still banging on Trent can't defend, and I think do these guys watch Trent every week? I mean, he's not like he's not. Uh, and uh, with all due respect to him, he's not Alberto Moreno, is he? You know, he's not getting exposed. You know, this idea that he can't defend is just an absolute myth. But I think it has affected Trent this season. I think all this talk about him has, has, has weighed on his mind. And I don't think this will help Liverpool, you know, in getting injured. Yeah, he might be back for pre-season, but it just could knock him again. So hopefully not. Hopefully he's OK. Um, but I really didn't want to see him miss out on this squad and certainly not this fashion. Yeah, no, he's he's tweeted as well, actually, today, Dave, just saying absolutely gutted. And that is it, isn't it? There might not be a great feeling on Merseyside for the national team, but those players certainly want to be representing it and being part of the country's top selection. Yeah, 100%. The players absolutely love playing for England. I think there's a real, you know, I think the atmosphere around England's changed in recent years as well in terms of it, it used to be very clicky from what you, you heard and, 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 you know, players sitting alone in their teams. Whereas I think because of the way youth football has changed in this country and the, these players all seem to know each other from a very early age and sort of, you know, these camaraderies exist between teams who would typically be rivals. So, you know, they all seem to enjoy getting together and, and, and playing together. And so it's, it's yeah, it'll be, like he says, he's absolutely gutted to miss out. And I think, you know, you do you do worry, and, and Joe alludes to this, is if it'll give him a knock just because, you know, you imagine if England go on and win the tournament, you know, probably not, let's be honest, but... Um, uh, you know, it's it's entirely possible, I suppose. And and if he did, and, and Trent had missed out because of the injury, that that you know that would be a little blow to him, I'm, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, ho- hopefully England don't win, and he feels all right about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. That's one. That's one of the two England players then who were selected from the Liverpool squad. Discussed the other Jordan Henderson, Gabby Abonglahor hasn't been shy in coming forward here, Joe, in terms of talking about him, saying effectively that he's not fit. After the day after the squad's announced, he's actually decided to pull out of the game against Austria. He's not going to get any games in ahead of the tournament. He should hold his hands up and tell Gareth Southgate he shouldn't be going to the tournament. What did you make of it? 
I kind of lost my words. I mean, it's just bizarre what 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 players do that. Do these what players say? Oh, sorry, boss. You know, I'm not quite there yet. Take someone else because I'm sure Bongo Hall would done that in his time as well, wouldn't he? I mean, it's just it's just completely nuts. And I think it's so nuts that I'm sure he must have just said this for a headline. And and okay, we're all giving it to him, but you know, it's it's just sort of like jock jock radio nonsense, isn't it? Because I I, I can't really. He can't really truly think that, can he? I mean, does Gareth Southgate not have a say in this either? You know, does he not rate Jordan Henderson very, very highly? And, you know, again, I do think it underlines that Jordan Henderson will never quite be valued on the on the wider scale like he should be. I mean, I don't really know what else he has to do to convince people that he's a not just a really brilliant player, but a great leader. You know, he's led Liverpool to, you know, to break a... A league drought that you know plagued the club for years. He led them to the biggest trophy in world football, but apparently he's not needed on England duty. I, you know, I find that bizarre. You know, why you wouldn't have him round for his personality, for his influence? I'm pretty sure he's a massive, massive factor behind the scenes for England. So it's just this complete nonsense from from a Bangalore. He probably knows it, and yeah, I mean, I don't really know what else to say. It's just complete and also. I want to swear, but I won't. But it's nonsense. Well, that's that's not like you, Joe. Normally, you, you throw them <laughs> out. Uh, in t- in terms of um, in terms of it, though, I thought once the news came out about Trent Dave, I was thinking, well, actually, would it do Liverpool a favour if Henderson actually were to have to pull out through injury himself in terms of getting ready for pre-season? And then you see a Bonglehor's comments, and you think, like Joe said, a player's not going to volunteer voluntarily sort of drop himself out of the squad. To me, it struck me as a, a player who I think must have missed out on the 2010 World Cup squad to Emil Heskey and uh, taken it to heart. Quite rightly as well. Quite <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, you know, as much as as much as much they're trying to put the onus on Henderson there as well to, to withdraw himself from the squad, which would never happen, you know, Gareth, Gareth Southgate would be absolutely desperate to have him there. He's such a key figure in terms of, like, you know, you know not just on the pitch, but in terms of his personality and I don't like the the insinuation from Agbonlahor as well that there's been some sort of personal failing there from Jordan Henderson in not withdrawing himself. I mean, this is a player who, you know, isn't just a superb player, but 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 as Joe touched on, really, is his leadership qualities and, and basically he's made his entire football career based on a completely selfless brand of football. You know, filling in gaps for other people, doing all the hard work that that other players maybe don't want to do, and the idea that he's done anything that's selfish. I just yeah, I just completely reject that. But I think it's one of those where, you know, an ex-footballer's on the radio and maybe starts saying something that gets away from them a little bit. And, and by the end of the sentence, they realise that they're talking absolute broken biscuits. But it's out there now. It's on national radio. So, yeah, I, I doubt he's going to sort of apologise and withdraw his remarks. But it's uh, I, I reckon even, even he knows he was, uh, he was talking nonsense there. Yeah, I think you've been kind to him. Having heard his remarks on the radio, I think I think it's probably <laughs> within keeping. But Joe, just sort of coming back to you, I think one of the key things he neglects as well, being obviously a former Aston Villa player and captain, the fact that Jack Grealish is in a very similar position, albeit did play on Wednesday. But should he not be voluntarily putting his hand up and say, "Oh, I might not be a hundred percent boss"? But there you go. It's a good point, isn't it? And, and and again, I think it comes down to that Jack Grealish in a, in a footballing sense is quite sexy, isn't he? You know, he's an attacking player. He he's the sort of player that you know. I was listening to the radio before, and and, and someone was saying that they would have they'd play one midfielder and just play all the attackers. Fancy football, yeah. And it's the, it, but it's it's the team, Garth Crooks. 
Yeah, don't don't bother taking Jordan Henderson. Just play just play every single attacker England have got. And, and this is the, this is the problem with England, isn't it? You know, it's it's about fostering a team. And I don't know. I, I just think it is total nonsense. And calling as Dave just said, I mean, calling Jordan Henderson himself is just it's like calling Father Christmas a Grinch, isn't it? It's just complete <laughs> nonsense. And and like Jordan Henderson would be the first to put other players ahead of him and. You know, if he's not picked, if he if he sits on the bench for every game, you won't hear a word out of him. It, you know, if anything, it'd be behind the scenes, making sure that everyone is in the right mindset, gearing everyone up, and he, he's just that sort of player. And if 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 Gabriel Abanlahor can't see the value of having Jordan Henderson in an England squad, then you know, well, yeah, he should just stay and talk, but not do any management or coaching because it's just completely bizarre. And as Dave said, I'm pretty sure that. When pressed on it, he would probably know that himself. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. That's it for England chat then. Let's get on to some other international stuff before we then actually talk about what boost it could have for Liverpool's pre-season plans. Dave, the Copper America, due to start, I believe, two days after the Euros, a week on Sunday. Initially, it was going to be held between Colombia and Argentina. Both of those have had to pull out. Brazil looked to be stepping in. Now they're thinking of pulling themselves out. Obviously, Roberto Firmino, Alisson Becker and uh, Fabinho all part of that Brazil squad. It could be a boost to Liverpool if that tournament doesn't go ahead. Yeah, not least because, you know, you don't want to put the players in a position whereby they're, they're at risk of contracting COVID. You know, we, we know that can have long-term effects even on really, you know, fit players and, and young players. So, you know, it, it, it's so risky. And I, I just think it, it just seems madness, doesn't it? That the, the idea that they moved it from Colombia because there was protests about the way they handled COVID nineteen, and then it's ended up, it's ended up falling to Brazil, which has got one of the worst death rates in the world, has, has handled the pandemic really poorly, to be honest. And and yeah, just you know, putting so many, you know, not just players but staff and 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 any fans who would turn up to the tournament, it just in real real danger. And yeah, it, hopefully it doesn't go ahead and they see sense on it because you know. I don't think this is the time to be taking risks. We're already at a really difficult time, aren't we, in the pandemic? And yeah, just going ahead with that would just be madness. And I think from Liverpool's perspective, they'll, you know, privately behind the scenes, I'm sure Jurgen Klopp is, is crossing his fingers that it does get cancelled because given those players a summer off after what has been a, a really gruelling season, really difficult schedule would be just perfect preparation to go into the next one and hopefully start well because. You know that that that's the worry, isn't it? Is piling a, an international tournament with all those risks attached on top of everything that they put into last season? You do you do worry about how well he would start the next season. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, do see sense and he gets called off. Yeah, that's it, isn't it, Joe? Because when you look at now, sort of even the Euros contingent that Liverpool will have away, I think it's only going to be seven players: Jordan Henderson, Andy Robertson, Harry Wilson. Of course, we don't know if he'll be at Liverpool past the uh, summer window. Nico Williams, Jordan Shakiri maybe falls into the same bracket as Harry Wilson, Diogo Jota and Thiago. So after a gruelling season that it has been, trying to cram all of these games in, if Liverpool can have as few players away on international duty before reporting back for pre-season so they can have their normal sort of full three weeks or so mm-hmm. before needing to come back for pre-season, it will only serve to benefit them. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, just looking at the whole football calendar as a whole I can't believe that that more competitions I mean I, I know it's probably easy for me to sit here and say this but you think more competitions weren't cancelled or, or at least postponed for a longer period of time like Dave says I cannot believe that they're trying to force this tournament into Brazil you know it, it doesn't seem safe it doesn't seem sensible um, you know 
I, I thought going into the season, you would have th- seen things like the League Cup. You could take a year off. You know these international tournaments. You know, just push them. And and, and I, I, in my mind, I, I still can't understand where, why. So Argentina, I don't know the host nations, but Argentina are the hosts of this year's Copper America. Why can't they host the next? scheduled one and just yeah. bump them all down well I may, maybe there are infrastructure reasons why they can't do that there possibly is but you know again we talk about the olympics the olympics is going to happen in tokyo and that seems strange that that, that they're going to allow footballers to to play in that you've got the african cup of nations early next year it all just seems a bit of a mess it seems like a lot of people are trying to shoehorn too many things in and as as, as dave just said before liverpool i'm sure will be you know hopeful that some of these players come back and don't have to play in these tournaments and they deserve a break you know, they're human beings and they're absolutely whipped aren't they to the, the the max that they can give and you know I think I don't care how much money they're and they, they deserve to go away and have a break after a crazy crazy 12 months recharge spend some time with their families and, and come back refreshed and these tournaments can all be played it's only football isn't it at the end of the day they, they can all be played further down the line so that's my my view on it. And um, well, go on. You know, it's one of those, isn't it? It's it's kind of Jurgen Klopp's prophetic words, sort of coming home to roost. What was it? Middle of sort of last season, twenty nineteen, where he went on sort of a six seven minute rant about how players needed to be rested because they are human beings. They are going to be forced to do too much. Forget about how much broadcasters are paying. And I completely take your point. I mean, everyone's making the the, the joke, the quip about Euro twenty twenty, and oh, but it's it's being played in twenty twenty one, like it's a, it's a little laugh type thing. This tournament could have been postponed, surely, for the welfare and health of the players, and actually just have the Euros in twenty twenty four when it was meant to be. Yes, you've had to miss a tournament, but everybody completely understands why. Yeah. And can't you just knock them down the line? I, yeah. I don't know yeah. why not. This, this, I don't think there's been a season where the the, the greed that drives football has been. You know, so brilliantly so aligned as yeah. this, it's been incredible. Just because what Joe says there about the start of the season when it was, you know we were coming in and we knew this was basically going to be a pandemic season, no fans in attendance and all that, and, and, and yeah, suspending the league cup to to make up for that really condensed fixture schedule would have been a, a brilliant idea. But the problem is that no one at the EFL wants to give up that money, and nobody outside of the EFL. So, for example, the stakeholders like the FA and the Premier League want to give up any money to them to sort of compensate them for that fact. So the best solution they could come up with was to to ride the players to a season where you know we've we've seen in, injuries increasing, you know real problems with the the schedule and, and I think at times the quality of the football has dipped as well. That's something that doesn't get spoken about enough. I think there's been some really poor games that we can't just pin on the fact that the fans haven't been there. I think that, that fitness has been an issue this season, and it's you know the same goes for the international tournaments. Is that yeah, you probably could have suspended the, the Euros this time around and not just and just not had them and, and you, you know you could have done the same with the Cop America, but Commerball and, and UEFA will not want to give up that money and, and that's that's the bottom line as far as they're concerned. In, in fact, it's they're, they're less thinking about the possibility of giving uh, giving games up and giving tournaments up to for the players' welfare. They're actually trying to shoehorn more games into mm-hmm. the schedule, which is you know going forward. They want more games in the Champions League. They want. They want the, the the club world cup to be expanded. They want to do all these things, and it's yeah. At, at some point, it's got to break, hasn't it? I, I I don't think there's enough pushback from clubs personally higher up in 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 the you know. I think you look back to sort of some of Klopp's complaints around scheduling around Champions League games and things like that. 
I think the onus for that really lies with the with, with the owners of the clubs. So, you know, why, why isn't Jurgen Klopp going to FSG and saying, you need to push back harder on this, you need to push back harder on this. And ultimately, they're the, the, the people at the top of the clubs are the ones who sign it off because they too want their, a bigger slice of the pie or more money to be generated through more mad tournaments, more games. Um, you know, there, there has to be better lines of communication from the players through to the, the you know, the upper echelons of the, the clubs, really, for me to to really get on top of this because if if you just let the governing bodies run amok then we're going to end up with some you know terrible version of football whereby the the, the, the games are rubbish and slow because nobody's fit and everyone's injured all the time and and you know it's yeah you can't just let them have their own way because it, it's not a good version of football we're going to end up with i'm just just to take up on, on player welfare i mean i think you see it often thrown about though you know, oh they're they and this amount of money and you know I think people just think of the physical injuries that they suffer and they think, well, a calf strain is not the end of the world. But you know, what struck me when, when Alisson was talking after he scored his goal and, you know, he, he lost his father earlier this year, hasn't seen his family. I mean, what, why, you know, these players, a lot of them are foreigners in England or in other countries. They should be allowed to go and have a month and spend some time with their families and people that they haven't seen for a long time in a safe environment. You know, th- all the money in the world can't make up for that sort of thing. And, you know, instead they're getting like a couple of weeks, two, three weeks here and there, you know, is, is, it, is it really that hard to let them to have that time? I just think, as Dave says, that we just whip them for more and more and more and more tournaments and everyone's got to have their piece of the pie. And, you know, they, they're the, the people in between, aren't they? So, you know, I, I just think if the Copper America was cancelled, the, the likes of Alison could go away and spend some time, much needed time with their families, and that would that would be the most important thing to, for all of this, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, important that sort of speaking there actually about the player welfare thing, but on the point you made there, Dave, in terms of the quality of the football and show as well. When was the last time, even in the Premier League, at the bottom end of the the table, you had an eleven point gap between those in the bottom three and the team who finished? sort of fourth from bottom. I do think the quality was quite poor and in the end it, it, it sort of did Liverpool a favour in terms of being able to claw back yeah. getting into the Champions League. But ultimately as well though, it, it is one of those that we spin and we look at and go, well, if these players aren't away on international duty, Joe, it serves Liverpool a benefit for pre-season. But that not so much, don't tangle the two points we've made in terms of them having a good rest before coming back for pre-season and then them being there for the first day of pre-season on the 12th of July. That will be important for other reasons because they've been rejudged that they can have a full pre-season with Liverpool rather than needing to have that break after finishing their international duty and only getting part of a pre-season with the Open Club. Definitely. I mean, I can't remember the last time Liverpool had an uninterrupted pre-season, really. I mean, uh, you know, and you, Liverpool this year are presented with an opportunity um, and Klopp, I'm sure, will be very happy about this. They're not going to go away, are they? They're not going to do any money-spinning tour. They'll, I think they are planning on going on the, the European leg of the trip. They usually go to the sort of Alps, don't they, that way? Yeah, um, Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's probably, if things go well, Klopp could be given his ideal preparations in terms of getting the players back, getting them at Kirby, doing pre-season training, going away to a European camp, playing some friendlies without having to travel halfway across the world. and That could work out really well for Liverpool. Um, I don't think Klopp's had that since he's turned up. So, you know, it'd be really interesting to see how, the, how Liverpool could hit the ground running um, come August if they're given that. So, 
I mean, yeah, if the, the Copa America is cancelled and those players are allowed to go and have that extended break, it would be a huge benefit for Liverpool. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It feels almost as though kind of the, the reset's getting hit this summer, doesn't it? As much as the squad isn't really changing all too much, it is evolving slightly. But with Wijnaldum leaving, Dave, it feels like it's sort of a, a sliding doors, a bit of a, a fresh start, as Joe says. Maybe sort of the first full pre-season this squad's been able to have since I would guess 2017, perhaps, ahead of getting to the first of two back-to-back Champions League finals. Hopefully it can sort of be the start of a, a new journey for Liverpool. Yeah, and I think I think it'll really freshen things up to to have you know the, the centre halves back in the squad. They'll feel like new players, and and you know it is it's starting again with a new sort of stronger squad than they've had before. And it, you know do expect more business further down the line as well. Um, yeah, I think Klopp will be made up with the fact that he'll be able to sort of have a a more normalish preseason, especially as well because there's a lot of talk about what what this summer's business will will sort of comprise and and how the squad will look after it, and whether you know he'll he'll move towards that sort of change of shape maybe a 4-2-3-1 that he's you know he's, he, he dabbled in and out of it as he occasionally really in his time at Liverpool maybe that's something he wants to sort of embed going forward and if if that is going to be the case there is any sort of change of shape or any sort of tweaks this is the perfect time to make them when they when they get together for, for pre-season and you know hopefully he'll have quite a big chunk of his squad together if you can have the Brazilians back and part of that as well that would be fantastic and just makes it easier to make those you know big changes and and lay foundations for the season ahead so yeah, he'll be absolutely made up if he can he can get more players back than he was expecting and, and, and have a, a, a sort of limited travel in, in pre-season and, and get somewhere like Evian or, or somewhere like that to um, yeah to, to lay foundations. And, and just on that point, I mean, he's talked about, hasn't he, quite openly this season that he hasn't been able to experiment with certain players as well, like Chimikas, uh, mm. you know, as a player that came in last year and we hardly seen anything of him. And Klopp, I think, has been honest and said, look, I can't throw him in because of the changes to our back line. It's a chance for players like that to have another go, isn't it? So, you know, I think that will be important as well to, to sort of embed players like that, give younger players a chance. You know, it's a big opportunity for someone like Harvey Ellis as well, isn't it? So, um, you know, it could be you know, the ideal preparations for Liverpool, couldn't it? Um, you know, if, if, if everything goes to plan. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I suppose looking at, at it as well, Dave, in terms of Liverpool and what they need to do during sort of the, the summer, we've seen obviously Ibrahim Akanate, he is going to be joining. But Pete, you've written on the, the Echo today, do go and check it out, is the fact that when Liverpool get back for pre-season on the 12th of July, before maybe pressing on with any more transfer business, it's about tying down some of those big names whose contracts will be at that time less than two years from expiring. Yeah, so Fabinho and Allison, it's been put to me are the, the the sort of first priorities. I think that sort of suggests to me that that basically those those contracts are you know very close to done. I think I think there's probably an acceptance about what that's going to look like and how long they'll be and and what the the salary will be and all that. I think that's sort of sketched out really and just a case of, of them coming back after that summer tournament and, and you know putting pen to paper on it so that's big boost for Liverpool because you know two players with a lot of good years ahead of them being absolutely crucial to, to changing this team from from like a top four challenging team to, to to winners of the biggest prizes and I think they'll you know still continue to play that role in the coming season so yeah absolutely massive but there are of course, a couple of others that are, that are coming up that you know Liverpool fans will be you know keeping an eye on, maybe a little bit worried about you know the likes of Mo Salah and Virgil Van Dijk's quite close, isn't he? I think he's in in two years now as well. So I think I think with Van Dijk, maybe you look at and you you think he's one who you, you maybe expect to stay put. I think he seems to love being at Liverpool, and I think that 
you know teams around will will know how much it would cost to get him out so it would probably be a difficult one whereas I don't know if the feeling's the same around Salah and, and you know there's always those links to Real Madrid isn't there and um, yeah that that that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on in the in the next sort of couple of months I think as we get towards the summer and then he he gets to the point where we are into two years out from it expiring it's um yeah a bit of a nervy time for Liverpool fans I think no, definitely. Joe, what's, what's, your, what's your take sort of on all the, the contract stuff? Because looking at it in terms of next summer, James Milner's contract is up. Of course, he's sort of a unique case for, for Liverpool. But 2023, in terms of those big-name players, you've got Salah, Mane, Firmino, Henderson, even the likes of both Cater and Oxlade-Chamberlain. Those two always seem to be coupled together and even sort of on contract talks. If Fabinho, Alisson and Van Dijk maybe do end up putting pen to paper on new contracts, there is still four or five big, big names there that need their future sorting. Absolutely. I mean, Dave's point on Salah there, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, if they got to, towards the back end of the summer and perhaps, you know, the that they sort of start realising which way the wind's blowing in negotiations, whether Liverpool would then think, well, two years out, do you sell him then? I mean, I doubt it. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not sitting here saying Liverpool are going to sell Salah, but you then start having decisions to make, don't you? So, um, and on those other players, you know, Henderson's a tricky one, isn't he? Because he's a little bit older. So what yeah. sort of length contract you give him? Um, and then people like Cater and Oxlade-Chamberlain, Oxley, they're players that I suppose we don't expect to leave Liverpool anytime soon, but they're also players that haven't exactly earned a long-term future at the club just yet. So, I mean, I, th- I think Dave's right. You know, Alisson and, and Fabinho are probably two of the, the more straightforward ones, but they only get trickier from there, don't they? So, I think by the end of this summer, we could have a better idea of what the future of Liverpool squad's going to look at, like and, and how it's going to evolve and where those priorities will be going into the following summer. Because I think at some point, certainly for the front three, I think you can't keep that front three together forever. And I think they're going to have to start succession planning. And whether that comes from within with someone like Harvey Elliott or whether they try and sign a forward this summer who can become a regular front three, whether that's Diogo Jota, um, or whether they think, well, we're going to eventually need a, a real headline act and just sell one of them. And, and replace it with a Sancho, something like that. It's going to be interesting. So I think towards the end of this summer, we can start getting an idea of what the priorities will be uh, in the following year. That's it, isn't it, Dave? And, and also, I suppose it will affect how Liverpool do their business themselves. They'll want to tie down maybe half of those names before they go and do any more business. So they kind of know what budgets and everything they're playing with. But at the same time, they don't want to leave it having to try and sort too many of them out without bringing anybody in. Because as Joe says, if they're going to have succession planning, it will only aid negotiations if Liverpool have, say, another forward in the business, in the building, sorry. And then when they go and do business with the likes of Mane and Salah, they say, well, these negotiations aren't the be-all and end-all for us. Yeah, I think it's it's just a really tricky time. You know, I think these are are huge decisions for Michael Edwards, aren't they? Because it, it is thinking about what the composition of the squad is going to be like in in you know four years time maybe how much how much more can you get out of say Roberto Firmino how at what point do you need to start replacing him at what point does he you know accept to reduce role you know because that's what you, you're aiming for is ultimately is to replace these players in the long term you know and, and if he's not going to be happy a couple of years down the line that he's not getting enough game time you know what does his extension look like in terms of you know the wages you're paying him? You're not you're not paying him the same wages surely as the 
as the, the last contract you give him where he's the main man, he starts up front in every single game. So it just gets really, really tricky as well because I don't think any of these players would, would go into those negotiations saying, OK, well, I expect to, to earn less this time around because um, you know I'm getting towards 30 and it, yeah, my, my role in the team is ultimately going to be reduced. They're thinking, I've done all this for you. I've, I've won all these trophies. Um, you know, brought all this money into the club. Surely, I, I deserve to be rewarded. So I think it's see, really, really. Van Alden. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. And it's a very, very difficult contract to sort of negotiate. That is that he'd been underpaid for such a long period, really, relative to his value to the team. He wanted to put that right, but then Liverpool were looking at it, thinking, well, if we do that, then we're, we're doing that over three, four years beyond you being thirty. It just becomes really tricky. And I think loads of the players are in that position. It's it, it's really sort of knife edge stuff. Um, you know, some of them that we would maybe, you know, Liverpool in normal circumstances would think this might be the right time to sell. But in a COVID market, that opportunity isn't there for them either. So, it, yeah, really, really tricky. And I think, you know, it's something we touched on before we, we came on air as well is about the uh, the idea that some players might be sort of, it might appeal to them to, to run the contracts down if they're already on decent money. You know, thinking about what the market is like at the moment. I, I'm thinking particularly in reference to Salah. You know, if he thinks, OK, two more years at Liverpool and, and try and win everything I can here and then the opportunity, you know, who's not going to sign him at that point? He's going to be 30 years old, still absolutely world class. He's in great shape, isn't he? You know, it, it opens up a world of possibilities for him. So, you know, if, if I was Mo Salah, I probably wouldn't be signing a new contract. I, I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast and, <laughs> and take my advice. But, you know, if you're in his position, you'd be, you'd be daft to do it because you look at the situation maybe... Harry Kane has got himself into this summer in terms of he signed a ridiculously long-term deal with Tottenham and now is saying he wants to leave the club. Well, you know, good luck with doing that because it's it, it, you've made it very difficult for yourself. You know, Will Zaha is another one in the Premier League who did a very similar thing. So, you know, if, if these players are wise about it and they look around at what's happened to other players throughout throughout Europe, they'll see that it probably does make sense to just to run your contracts down. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We spoke contracts. Let's move on to speaking transfers for the final part of today's podcast, in which, of course, it does mark six years since James Milner signed on a, on a free. So it feels to me, Joe, as though we should talk about free transfers, 250 appearances for the Reds. Before we get on to who could be next or anything like that, let's play tribute to James Milner and what a terrific servant he's been. I don't think when he signed in 2015, any of us probably expected him being at Liverpool for six years. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, it felt like it's funny, wasn't it? Because he came from Man City, and it, I, I, this makes sense. I, Man City seemed like his main club. That would be where you know the bulk of his career and his most successful period would be. But to, to come to Liverpool, and now I think people will remember James Milner as a Liverpool player, and and they'll remember him for the things he did at Liverpool. And and you know, again, it's 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 one of those things that you you can't put down in a statistic, can you? But you know the the mindset, the the attitude, the leadership, all the things that the uh, that, sorry James Milner brings to Liverpool. Um, I think just so so important about setting standards. And again, when we talk contracts, James Milner is one of those guys who's out of contract. And you know, I don't think James Milner is going to be getting another contract. But it's important that Liverpool keep characters like that and ensure that standards remain being set at such a high level um, for any new players that they do bring in. And I think James Milner is you know. If you listen to any young player or any player that, that passes through Liverpool, they all speak so highly of him. It's no coincidence, is it? He just is the ultimate, ultimate pro. And, you know, I do wonder where he where he turns next, Where he, whether he's one of those people that goes and plays on and, you know, 
drops down leagues or whatever, or whether he goes into coaching. But it would be brilliant if Liverpool could find a role for him um, because I just don't think that you can quantify that sort of experience and that attitude. So he's been a great player, some really good memories. He's, you know, his, his personality, I think, you know, from watching him, I think it is, is, is a lot bigger, isn't it, that he gets credit for. And, yeah. you know, I, I've just enjoyed... I've just enjoyed him being a Liverpool player. He's the sort of player that you, you don't want him to ever leave. Do you? you always want to have him in the squad. But, yeah, he's been great. Um, just one hell of a signing. Yeah, and boring James Milner, but he's anything but Liverpool fans love him. But I take sort of Joe's point as well, Lynchy, in terms of when you think of Milner, you sometimes might think, oh, yeah, there was there was that player, James Milner, who played for Aston Villa, then he got his move to Man City and he just faded away type thing. And then there's this other James Milner who's always been at Liverpool. He's synonymous with the club and it feels as though he has, he is now part of the furniture. Yeah, I, Joe basically nicked a line for something I'm writing about Milner today. <laughs> basically, he, he, you know, he's, he's 250 appearances for Liverpool, so he, he will they will end his career having played for Liverpool more than any of the other the other teams uh, that he, that he played for. So he is, you know, he's a Liverpool man. It's in, in it, and like you say, I don't think anyone sort of expected that to be the case when he came in and a, and a free signing. He looked a, a smart bit of business, but I do remember thinking at the time as well. Oh well, you know. Manchester City were sort of happy to let him go. He was a bit of a squad player around a team that was winning the biggest prizes at the time. You know, if Liverpool want to, to eventually get back up to that level, why would they be signing a, a sort of cast-off who was only good enough to be around the squad of that level? You know, and I, I do remember sort of asking that question at the time to myself. And, you know, you look at what he's done since. He's been absolutely integral, hasn't he, to, to some of these big successes. Just, you know, ne- never, in truth, never sort of a nailed on constant starter for Liverpool again, you know, much like he found at City. But I think, you know, he, he has contributed more regularly. He's not just getting thrown on in the last 10 minutes to play on the right wing as he as he used to do at City. He's, you know, he's a, an important player and, he, and he, he has ended up nailing down that central midfield spot, which was a big yeah. sort of draw for him coming in. But Brendan Rodgers promised that to him. So he has proven that he's, he's good enough to play in there and smart enough. And I just think he's he's so handy to have around, even, you know, Last season, things didn't quite go to plan for Liverpool, but he made you know 26 appearances and and just whether he starts or he comes on as a sub, you always trust him to get a feel for the game and and, and get a hold of things and and start to dictate. He's just really smart play like that. So you know, and, and when he does come on as a sub, he he always sort of knows exactly what's needed in that moment and sort of fulfills that role. So yeah, just just brilliant. And and the thing about setting standards as well is is really important because I think this is something that. People outside of football don't really pay attention to, but they just, you know, Jurgen Klopp would wax lyrical about what he's like in training and, and how that influences the younger players coming through. And, and not just the younger players, it's, it's it, you know, it sets the standard for, for the older players who are still solid pros, but, you know, would, would aspire to James Milner's level. So it's just absolutely, you need people like that around squads if you're going to win things. I know people would just like 10 Mbappes and, and you know, and more players like that, but it's that's just not how football works. You you need players like this, and he's he's been absolutely crucial. Will go down as a rightly so as a, a, an absolute Liverpool legend, and I, I'd be interested to see if he liked Liverpool more than Manchester City privately. You know, if he, what, how he would sort of judge those two clubs if if he's enjoyed his time at Anfield more. I think the the fact he's added those two big prizes probably suggests to me that he should. Yeah, I think we know the answer to that. I think you can tell in his body yeah. language. We we know the answer to that. I always remember just just quickly. I always remember him coming on in the, you know, the three two in twenty fourteen. David, when um you know when Coutinho scored the winner and he came on in that game. I think a half was it a half, half time, time or just yeah, after. Half time. Yeah. And he tore Liverpool apart. And I, yeah. And I don't think I ever really appreciated how good he was until I saw him that day and thought, 
he was so clever playing just in between the lines and and Liverpool just couldn't cope with him um, and David Silver at the time. And you know, you think about the the amount of positions he's played for Liverpool. He has played in central midfield. He's obviously played left back. A lot of been made of that, but he's played right wing. He's played left wing. He's played just about everywhere you you can play and and, and made a difference, hasn't he? So again, I just don't think people will you know outside of 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 Liverpool, the Liverpool sphere will will really appreciate what what he's meant to this club and, and how much he's contributed in, in, in the successful years the club has had. He came on, actually, I just checked, he came on five minutes after half-time for Jesus Navas. But uh, yeah, I remember I remember personally just sort of from the outside when he signed, I remember thinking it was a very Joe Cole-like signing that had obviously happened five years previous, very similar age. I think actually Milner was a year older than Joe Cole when he made the move. But uh, yeah, can't ever imagine Joe Cole having filled in at left-back for Liverpool <laughs> for a full season. I think a lot of people listening will think good good job that uh, he never did. But in terms of that then, and the value that Liverpool got out of the sort of free transfer market in bringing in James Milner, inspired by that, and the, like the chat Dave and I were having before we came on, Joe, just in terms of sort of free transfers, I wonder with COVID and the way it's going to impact the transfer market, whether or not we're going to see this become more and more of a thing. You think this summer, Aguero, Vinaldum, Depay, they're not all signing for Barcelona. There's David Alaba as well going to Real Madrid. It feels as though maybe we are going to start having a bit more of a shift towards players running down their contracts and moving on frees, like everybody predicted, what, 25 years or so ago when the Bosman dealing first came in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I thought Dave made a good point before about Salah and you know the contracts of Harry Kane and Wilfred Zaha. Um, you know, I, I can see that happening, but I do think there's free transfers aren't as easy as I think as people tend to, to make out. You know, you look at someone like Depay is a good example of someone coming up into a free transfer. He's, he's obviously had some very good seasons in recent seasons and should be very attractive to, to pretty much any club on a free transfer, but. I think the flip side of it is the wages those players will ask for, the signing on fees, the the, the money involved with, with getting a deal over a line for a free transfer can sometimes, you know, not really be worth it. You know, and I think I think that's why, you know, a lot of the players, there's some headline players, especially this summer, on free transfers. But, you know, Aguero going to Barcelona, as, as good as that is, you know, in terms of from the outside looking in, I don't think I'd want Liverpool signing Aguero on a free transfer just no. because of the wages he'd be on, the, the contract length and, and everything that comes with it. I just don't think that the juice is worth the squeeze sort of thing. So I do think free transfers are more, you know, you don't get Joe Matip every day. You don't really even get James Milner every day. You know, there are more Joe Coles than there are James Milners. So I think they are trickier than they, they first appear. I mean, I, I thought Joe Cole, Joe Cole was a good sign at the time. Yeah, yeah. I really liked him. No, I just Chelsea. like the analogy. There's, there's more yeah. Joe Coles than, than Joe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes, look, sometimes they're worth the gamble. One of the ones that I think a lot of people mock Liverpool for, Voronin, I always thought was worth the gamble. You know, he, he wasn't the best, but he did no harm and he moved on, did he? So, you know, I, I think some of them are worth the gamble, but others, the high-profile ones can be quite difficult because you don't nobody wants to end up with a Joe Cole, you know, look how it took Liverpool a long time to get him off the box. He he cost them a lot in wages and you know, you have to pay those bigger wages to sweeten the deal for them, don't you? Yeah, there are obviously the, the big wages to sweeten the deals in Joe says there, David. But in terms of I suppose players even 
you sort of associate free transfers with players coming towards the end of their careers. As we say, Milner was 29 when he arrived, albeit he's, he's done six, he will do seven years at Liverpool. Gary McAllister, though, obviously a very famous one for, for Liverpool to come in sort of in the twilight years of his career. But you, looking at sort of some of the, the big name players around Europe whose deals are going to expire next summer, obviously there's Mbappe, we read about him every day, Dybala, Goretzka, Pogba even, who's many Dembele. I mean, a player like, for example, Aaron Ramsey, left Arsenal on a free, albeit he commands very, very high wages at Juventus. But if you're paying a player £20 million in wages per year, even over two years, that would have been £40 million that perhaps would have been spent on a transfer fee anyway. Yeah, and well, I think I think if you look at the case of Mbappe, for example, if he does end up leaving PSG on a, on a free transfer, his, his wages will be ridiculous. But his, his wages yeah. would have been ridiculous even if you pay £150 million for him this summer anyway. So, you know, I think... You know, I think in, in in Mbappe's case, he's another one where I think his best option now is to is to run down this final year of his contract, see what PSG's best offer is, and then compare it to 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 you know the the thousands of offers he will get from clubs across Europe, and and see what's best for him in terms of his you know progress in his his football career. It's I just think players are honestly, like I've said it before, I think players are daft if they if they tie themselves into these long term contracts when you will ultimately. You're going to end up in a situation, like I said, with salaries. He will, he will reach thirty at the end of his contract. He'll have, he'll still have a contract offer from Liverpool. There's no doubt about it. And then there will be contract offers from Real Madrid, from PSG, from from all these types of clubs. So if you know you're that level of player, then why, you know, why wouldn't you work yourself into that position rather than being, you know, stuck in a Harry Kane situation with I think maybe three years left on his Tottenham deal and hoping that someone in a, a COVID-affected market can come up with. 200 million or whatever ridiculous sum Daniel Levy's likely to ask for. So, you know, I, I, I just think players should sort of see this as, as, as sensible going forward is to, to sign these long-term deals when you first arrive at a club, but then sort of work your way towards towards the end of it because it just just gives you so many options in terms of your next move. And I think it makes you gives you the opportunity to make smarter moves as well. And that's think- the thing that jumps out to me, Joe. Sorry, that's the thing that jumps out to me is Liverpool under Michael Edwards, we know how smart they are in the window, that they'll be maybe keeping an eye on some of these contracts and maybe talking to agents and saying, oh, look, we can see he's only 12 months out from his contract end and seeing how things do play out. We know Liverpool work ahead. We know they're smart and clever. Some clubs who have offered contracts to these players that are now going to be caught in a difficult position maybe have been a bit more silly in terms of what age these contracts are going to run out at. And there are, as I say, there are some big players, the ones we listed there, but others, very big names about who could perhaps be on the market. Absolutely. And, and Liverpool have got some very good relationships with some very good agencies that they will be that they'll be using to get to get themselves well positioned. I have no doubt about it that Liverpool will be sort of keeping taps on all those sort of free transfers. Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking that Dave Lynch should, should open his own agency and all the clubs would the clubs would hate him and the fans would yeah. hate him because he'd be driving every player, never never sign a new deal. Sign <laughs> one deal and that's it. And it, you know, the, the, but the, the, it would make things interesting, wouldn't it? Um Well the thing the, you uh, don't know the thing you don't know, Joe, is the M in his in his tag there actually is for Mino, Dave Mino. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lynch the Grinch, they call him because he'd never sign any <laughs> get a contract signed. Um, yeah, I mean, crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Liverpool will be keeping tabs on it. I'm sure that they're not daft, are they? they? You know, we know how clever they are, and they, we know that they work ahead. And you know, it might be that Liverpool use those contracts to their advantage as well because if you get in early, you can usually get players at a slightly cheaper rate, can't you? So, 
um, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly certain that we'll be doing that. Yeah, no, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, that's it from us for this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. Thanks a lot for joining us. Of course, we'll be back on Monday. As ever, do check out the uh, link to our newsletter in the description of the uh, podcast or if you're joining us on YouTube. But from myself, Guy Clark, Joe Rimmer and David Lynch, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.